0: Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. And we're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. Just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, HopeChurchOnline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and happy Father's Day, everyone as pastor travis said my name is scott worthington i've had the privilege of being one of the pastors here at hope for the last several years and um, i'm excited and grateful to be with you this morning if you're new to our church we're actually walking through a sermon series through the old testament book of first samuel uh, called blast from the past we've been at for several weeks and we're going to continue that next week but uh, for mothers and fathers this year we decided to pause and to take a, a special weekend for each moms and dads and spend some time looking at God's word. And so if you missed it back in May, Pastor Vance delivered an incredible message uh, for moms. And so moms go back and listen to that message. It was encouraging and challenging. And, and today I have the privilege of looking at God's word specifically for fathers. And you might say, who am I? And Travis mentioned it, but um, I am a dad myself. I'm going to put a picture of my family on the screen. Uh, this is the best representation Of my family. I was looking through pictures and there's a few of us smiling like nice, you know, nice, cute family. And I thought, this is actually way better representation of who we are. Um, That's my wife, Candace, next to me. I am holding my two year old son, Blaine. The curly haired girl in front is Avery. And the guy flashing gang signs over there is my son, Bryce. He is is six. Uh, That's my family. And so I'm excited. As Pastor Travis said, God, I'm so excited for. just the role of dad, and and, and and what it means in our society, and um, and, and the reality is we have uh, to gain some common ground this morning uh, across the room with with my men. Um, there's a there's a uh, there's kind of a, a thing that we have, and maybe you'll you'll understand this, but uh, you've all been in the car with a dad who is driving, and maybe you're on a road trip, and. Uh, and the GPS stopped working, and we don't have an old school map in the car, and uh, moms, you'll get this, and kids too. Um, and at some point, somebody's gonna have enough bravery to speak up and say, hey, I think we're lost. Um, can, can we stop and ask for directions? And every dad goes, I know where I'm going right like we know where we're going and I thought this was maybe just an American problem but a couple years ago I was in Thailand and it was the most hilarious thing to me we we got lost in Thailand and we we took a wrong turn and and I asked our partner there on the ground I said maybe we should stop and ask for directions and he said Thai men don't ask for directions I said okay it's not it's not an American problem it's just a man problem okay But typically, and maybe some of you guys are smarter, but typically men don't like to ask for directions. And so uh, this morning, um, if I could ask for your grace for me and for you to, uh, to look at God's word for some direction this morning. We have direction in the word of God. And here's the deal. Um, I am not super dad. There was not like a vote cast that like I won best dad of the church award. Um, I am a broken and I could, if this was a sermon about my awesomeness as a dad, it'd be a short sermon. Okay, I want to to look at God's word and and we are men that are desperate for Jesus as we attempt to journey into this endeavor of fatherhood. And I want to look at the Bible and and say, God, what do you have for us as, as dads? Because the reality of the role of dad is huge. Our society, both Christian and non-Christian, have done studies where there's there's studies done of of absentee fathers and distant fathers. And the effect that that not only has on their kids, but on their kids' kids and on down the line. There is a massive, massive role that we have to play. And we need a generation of godly dads that can be used of God to change future generations. So two things I want to do this morning, very simply, I want to look at God's word. And here's the deal. If you've already tuned out or maybe you're like gonna take a trip to the bathroom and go onto the parking lot and you pull one of those things. If, you're, if you are not a dad in the room and you're like, I'm gonna slip out of here. Um, as we open up the word of God, I believe what the book of Hebrews says, that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So as we open up God's word, yes, specifically to the area of fathers, God's word using uh, the spirit of God will take the word of God and bring about transformation all over the room, no matter who you are or what gender you are or whether or not you are a dad this morning and so i want to look at god's word not just for dads but really for everyone and then i want to i want to bring some ground level application i'm a i'm a practical guy and we've all heard sermons where it's way up here in the clouds and you go to lunch you go so what am i going to apply for this and you're going i don't really know i mean there was some good points that's not the goal today the goal today is to look at god's word and maybe apply some things in our lives tomorrow in our families this week in our families this month and maybe we could, we could do some work by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's the goal. No matter what age your kids are, I know we have all over the room. You have young fathers like myself who, who we are worrying about things of, of, of toddler age. And then there's, there's granddads in the room and, and, and dads of teenagers and great granddads. And so wherever you are today, hopefully the word of God will, will, will speak to you and speak to us. And so very very simply, I want to take three things that a godly dad does. Three things that a godly dad does. The first one is this, a godly dad pursues integrity. A godly dad pursues integrity. You might say, why? why integrity? Scott, you just said three things that a godly dad does. I want, I want to talk about what a godly dad does. Well, I believe the foundation of being a godly dad doesn't start with what you do. It starts with who you are. A godly dad starts with who you are. And the Bible has so much to say about this issue of integrity. When I first became a Christian at 17 years old, I was into music. I was a songwriter and uh, the guy that kind of walked alongside me and helped me study the Bible for the first time ever, he said, did you know, Scott, that there's actually a couple books in the Bible that are like song books? I thought, I, I didn't know that, but I'm new to this thing, so show me where those are. And He said, it's the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs. And so for, by God's grace, the last 13 years, I've been studying the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs, and in Psalms and Proverbs and other places in Scripture, there's so much to be said about this issue of integrity. And so I want to read a few verses for us as we talk about being men of integrity and dads of integrity. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9 says this He who walks in his integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7 says, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. It's a good Father's Day verse. Psalm 101 chapter uh, Psalm chapter 101 verse 2 says I will be careful to live a blameless life when will you come to help me I will lead a life of integrity in my own Home. We could spend the next several minutes just reading more verses about this issue of integrity. It's all over scripture. So what is integrity, right? It's a Bible word. That's a church word that you may or may not know the definition to. Really, the word comes from the root word integer. And all my math lovers will understand that. What is that word? Integer is a whole number. So this issue of integrity really speaks to this being whole. The definition, if you look it up in the dictionary, says integrity is the state of being complete or whole. Now, that's cool, but that's a little too high for me, right? Like, that's, that's a good definition, but well, that's a little too vague. And so C.S. Lewis gives what I think is the best definition of integrity. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. Your life is whole. Integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. It's being the same person no matter who's around. Whether you're at the gym with your friends, you're out at work, or you're with your family, integrity is being the same person whether people can see it or not. And so um, to kind of illustrate this, I want us all to have an imagination for a second. Imagine you are at a stoplight here in our city. We've all been at the stoplight where we're kind of looking ahead and whatever. You're trying to look at the the car uh, in front of you. You're looking at the bumper sticker or trying to figure out the personalized license plate. And we're just kind of examining because there's nothing else to do. You're not supposed to be on your phone, bad phone people. But you're looking at the car in front of you, right? And you're looking at the car in front of you. And just imagine for a minute, we see a, a pickup truck. And on the back of the pickup truck, it says ABC Construction. Building homes with excellence and integrity since 1986. We've all seen something like that, right? Like it's a, it's a slogan for a construction company. But have you, ever, have you ever wondered why they say something like that? We've all, we all seen something, some construction company that said something about excellence and integrity. And excellence makes sense, right? They, they're letting you know we're a building your house well. But until I started studying integrity, I didn't really understand why would a builder talk about this issue of integrity, Well, I grew up in a framing foreman's home. And so uh, construction was a part of my life. My stepdad was a framing foreman my whole life. And so I went to work with him on Saturdays. And I uh, I got a job with him when I first turned 16. And when I started working construction, I realized there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on inside your house. Like a whole lot of stuff. There's electrical and there's plumbing and there's all the things that make your house your house. But when I left my house this morning and when you go to your house later on this afternoon... All you're gonna walk in is see beautifully painted, textured drywall and all your family pictures and all your clocks and everything hanging on the drywall. So why does ABC integrity want you or ABC Construction want you to know that your house is built with integrity? Here's why I believe that. Is they're letting you know you can't see behind the walls and everything that's going on inside this house. You can't see the electrical, but it works. You can't see the plumbing, but it works. You can't see all the things that make up your house. But we want you to know as ABC construction, behind the walls is legit. Behind the walls is done with excellence. You can't see it, but we want you to know since 1986, we've been building construction with integrity. Our physical houses rely and depend on the structural integrity of our homes. And man, I want you to know today, as fathers, our homes, our families rely and depend on our integrity. We might have the perfectly textured drywall painted walls up for people to see. But the question is, what's going on behind the walls? What's going on where where you can't see it? Integrity says, even behind the walls, it's the same as up front. It's legit. It's good. Integrity is doing the right thing, even when no one is watching This is an area of my life that, um, by God's grace, I've had some people really come alongside me and help me understand how crucial it is for me to live a life of integrity. And so I've come up with some practical questions that I always ask myself in a journal or something, by God's grace, throughout my life. And and I want to share those with you. Maybe you would begin to ask yourself these questions. Am I a man of my word? When Scott Worthington says something, can the people in my life bank on it? I don't just say things that I don't follow through with. Am I a man of my word? If I say something, is it as good as gold? That people know Scott is a man of integrity. He is a man of his word. That's my prayer that I would be. Am I the same whole man when nobody is around? Right? Follow me around. If my son Bryce, who's six years old, were to follow me around wherever I went, am I the same whole man? No matter if I'm at the gym or I'm buying groceries or I'm here at work or I'm on the stage at Hope or I am rolling around with my kids on the floor, am I the same whole man? That's being a man of integrity. I ask myself, are there secret sins that I know are destroying me and my family? Are there things that are going on behind the walls that I think I'm keeping from people, but it's really destroying me and my family? Because I know this, I may be fooling somebody, but I'm hurting somebody too. Just because they don't know about it doesn't mean they're not affected by it. So I want to be a man of integrity. So as we start, that's the foundation. What Three things about a godly dad this morning. The first one is a godly dad pursues integrity. What is behind the walls of your life? Our families are relying and depending on that integrity. Second thing a godly dad does, and we'll spend the majority of our time here, a godly dad is intentional. A godly dad is intentional get to the ground level here of our lives as dads you say why intentional I want you to think about your latest project I talked to a lot of guys in preparation for this message and and everyone's working on something right we all no matter if you are the 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 car guy or the landscaping guy or the, the the tech guy whatever you might be wherever your passions lie we are all working on something so think about your latest project nothing whatever it is just happens right uh, I'm really really bad at mowing my lawn like I I push it every week and it just keeps growing and and I'll get a little nudge from my wife or my kids will be like dad the the lawns really long and I'm like I know I know here's the deal it's never just gonna mow itself right eventually I got to get my butt out there with the lawnmower and I gotta mow the lawn it's not just gonna happen right think about that for you there's always something we are working on I want you to think about it we don't complete something that we don't build And we don't build things if we're not working on them. We are all working on something. We work and we must work intentionally on our families. We must roll up our sleeves and we must get intentional with our families. No matter what age our kids are, whether they're out of the house, they're in high school, or they're little kids running around in our houses, we must be intentional. And again, God's word gives us direction. I want to spend some time in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter six, we're gonna tear this passage up a little bit and I wanna um, look at some of the words specifically as it relates to being intentional. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy six, verse five through seven. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down. And when you rise up out of this passage, I want to give us three practical ways to be intentional. Again, I want to, I want to give us some handles we can plug into our lives immediately out of this passage, three practical ways to to be intentional. The first one is this, be passionate about Jesus. I know that sounds simple. That's easy. It's just church. Be passionate about Jesus. But if you look at verse seven there, that word diligently, it says, you shall teach them diligently to your sons. Looked up this word in the original language. And this word means really to repeat over and over again. Just to repeat over and over and over again. And here's what I know, and it's probably true of your life. We repeat what we are passionate about. If I'm passionate about it, I promise you I'm talking about it a whole lot. I can go to, uh, uh, on the other building if your kids are over there. Maybe your kids are here if you have students. And we could ask your, your kids, what's your dad passionate about? They're going to be able to tell us why. Because we repeat it over and over and over again. Our kids know what we're passionate about. But you see, there's this myth that our culture has, specifically in the area of church and Christianity. There's a myth that our culture says that, you know, the reason we don't see a lot of passionate men for Jesus is because men just aren't very emotional. Men just aren't very passionate guys. They're just not very emotional. And so that's why we kind of maybe sit on the sidelines when it comes to the things of God. And, and so we're just not very emotional. And so I'm going to put a picture on the screen here in just a minute that I think will contrast that statement that people in our culture, men specifically, are not very emotional. Check out this picture. Right? By the way, if you just want a a fun little activity, look up crazy sports fans on Google. Google Images will give you a few minutes of glory. I, I just typed this in and picked the first few pictures that I found. We have a culture that says that men just aren't very passionate. They're not very emotional. See the guy up to the top right with his sons? That dude's a good 350, balling his eyes out, okay? <laughs> his, his team lost, right? Tonight's game seven of the NBA finals. If you go to any sports bar in our city, you're going to see some passionate men, right? No matter if you're a Cavs fan or a Warriors fan, there's going to be some passionate people. Why? Because we are passionate guys. Men are wired. People are wired to be passionate. You watch football. See our team win the World Series or, or, or the Super Bowl. You're going to see some men all of a sudden get get church wherever they are, right? They're going to start like speaking in tongues charismatic, right? They are stoked. And maybe you're not the sports guy, but your new tech, your new car, guns, superhero movies, video games, whatever it might be, we are passionate. I've learned the problem is not a lack of passion or emotion. The problem is a lack of affection for Jesus. I've shared with you guys before, I'm a die-hard Dallas Cowboy fan. Yeah. Cowboy fans are like, it's gonna be a good year. We've been saying that since 96. Let me be transparent. Let me be transparent. This is honest because I'm passionate about it. I mean, my kids know it. My wife knows it. Everyone in my life knows it. We've got some Cowboy fans on staff and Mondays are either great or bad, right? Normally during football season, walk in with our heads down because we, we know we're not another loss. right? And, and I'm passionate about it. But here's, here's the reality. I'm being transparent this morning. In my flesh, if I'm not careful, I will care more about what Tony Romo does with a football on Sunday than what God is doing in my family for eternity. That's true of me. I will be more passionate about what a football game does in my life than what God is doing right now in my family. And here's what I know, my passions will drive my kids' passions. You go to my house right now, my kids are all Cowboys fans, right, by default. You do not root for another team. They're all Cowboys fans. They all love doing what I love doing. My, my daughter goes and helps my wife in the kitchen make healthy, awesome stuff in the kitchen. Why? Because my wife's passionate about doing that. So my daughter's learning to be passionate about doing that. Our kids' passions are driven by our passions. So we must be passionate about Jesus. What passions are we repeating over and over and over again in our houses? Because those are the passions they're going to repeat. So we're we passionate about Jesus. We have to be intentional about this. I love the stories in the New Testament where it says that the, the father became a Christian and the whole household became a Christian. That wasn't come because of some voodoo where the guy w- walked in and all his family became Christian. Why? Did they become Christians? Because the, the dad walked in, was passionate about the Lord, and the whole family said, dad's in it, I'm in it. When dad is in love with Jesus and is passionate about it, it is influential throughout the whole family. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, we should give our children the impression that the most wonderful thing in the world is Christianity. And there is nothing in life comparable to being a Christian. Don't hear, me, don't hear me wrong. Be passionate about a lot of things. But let those passions be secondary to the passion that you lead your family to believing is Jesus Christ. As we seek to be intentional, we must be passionate. But second thing, we must take advantage of the time. Take advantage of the time. In verse seven there in Deuteronomy Chapter 6, it says, again, you shall talk with them when you sit down in your house. This word talk is a conversational word. It it, it connotates um, using the time you have to have conversations. This is a, as you go throughout the everyday rhythms of life, and if you listen to Pastor Vance's Mother's Day message, we talked a lot about this. As you walk throughout your everyday life, use the time you have just living life in everyday rhythms to talk with your children about the Lord teaching times in everyday life. It says there, as you sit in your house. What does that mean? Well, we all have those times where we're just hanging around the house. Maybe you're hanging out at the pool later this afternoon. Maybe you're hanging out before dinner or after dinner, wherever it might be in your house, as you're just sitting at your house, around the house. It says to talk about the things of the Lord. Take advantage of the time. It says when you walk by the way, when you're on the go, you're in the minivan. If you don't have a minivan, I have a minivan. I never thought I'd have a minivan, but I got one, right? And I'm driving that thing, And instead of just blaring 90.5, and I love 90.5, but sometimes I'm going to turn 90.5 down, I'm going to take advantage of the time to talk to my children about the things that we're hearing on 90.5. You take advantage of the time in everyday situations before you lie down. I've talked to a lot of dads who are older, and I'll be honest with you, there's not, I don't always love tucking in times, right? Because I got three kids, and sometimes it's a pain, right? Older dads are always like, don't do that. Take advantage of that time, because it doesn't go, it doesn't stay forever, right? You're your 15-year-old, 17-year-old, I'd want you to tuck them in. So they tell me, take advantage of that. And so I, I get to have conversations with my kids as I'm tucking them into bed about how their day's going. Did anything make them sad that day? Praying with them. Take advantage of that time. It says there in Deuteronomy, before you lie down, take advantage of those tucking in times if you're a young dad. And then when you rise up in the beginning of the day, have those conversations with your kids before you head off to work. We must intentionally take advantage of the time to be involved and engaged in the life of our family. And again, this is kind of a therapy session, I guess. I'm, I'm going to confess something else to you this morning. Um, there's been times, and, and all, all my men will, will understand this, when I'm on my way home from work, It's been one of those days and like meetings kind of were weird and it's just been a hard day and I went to the gym to blow off some steam and that didn't work and so um, I'm on my way home and right when I pull into the the neighborhood, I get that text, you know, this text right here, can you stop by the store and grab these things, right? We all love that text. And so I go, I'm just being honest, and we go and I go and I get all the stuff and here's here's what I want to do. There's times when in my flesh, again, I want to get home, I want to put that list of things on the counter and I want to go in my room. And I want to have some me time and I want to watch some ESPN and I want to unwind and I want to hang out by myself. And listen, we need to rest. We need to have me time. I'm not at all condemning that today. But I know in my heart, sometimes I'll have to have a conversation when I pull in the driveway and I say, I might just have left one job. But Scott, you're about to walk into your second job, your more important job. And you're about to engage and invest in your family because your kids have been waiting all day for you to get home to play with dad. Well, maybe if you have teenagers, your kids have been waiting all day to come home and talk to you about that thing that happened at school. But yeah, they can talk to mom about it, but there's just something they want to talk to dad about. I have to be intentional about taking advantage of that time. You say, how do I do that? I think the Bible gives us some direction in Deuteronomy 6, but also some direction all the way back in Genesis. We must cultivate our families. Now that's a, that's a word we don't use much anymore, cultivate. How do you cultivate your family? It's an agricultural term and it takes time cultivation takes time and i love this because god gives us direction in his word in genesis chapter 2 he actually created hardwired men for cultivation it says in genesis chapter 2 this is before the fall of mankind so this isn't like effects of the fall effects of sin this is how god made us before the fall it says that we were to cultivate and to keep the land we are hardwired to work on things and we talked about it a little bit earlier but we're all working on something right if I walked outside of the parking lot now and you got like the best truck in the parking lot, you still want to do things to it. You still want to lift it or put a new exhaust on it. If I go out of your, your, your yard at your house, I'm going to go, man, that's an amazing yard. Yeah, but I want to do this and I want to do this and I want to do this. That's you cultivating. If I golf with you and you're, you're, you're like six under par, you're still going to take golf lessons because every seven shots, you swing it, right? Every seven shots, you slice it. We're always cultivating things. This isn't, this isn't something we, we're not used to. The question I have to ask myself is, am I working harder at cultivating my career or my hobbies than I'm working at cultivating my family? Intentionally, rolling up my sleeves, leveraging my time, taking advantage of my time. Andy Stanley wrote a book, I highly recommend it. It's called, uh, it's called when, F- when Family and Work Collide. And it's this amazing book where he talks about this idea of our role in our families. He said this, the problem is, you love your family with your heart but you don't love them with your schedule and they can't see your heart. That's challenged me so much in the last almost seven years of having children. And I'm sure some of you who have children out of the house have been challenged by statements like that. Because from what I've heard from many of my older dads that I follow, it goes fast. So leverage that time as we seek to be intentional. We must be passionate about Jesus. We must take advantage of the time. And lastly, we must preach the gospel. Again, that sounds very simple, but it says there in Deuteronomy 6, it says to teach these things diligently. That word teach is a word that is earnest instruction. It's towards the things of God, earnest instruction. It almost connotates this idea of preaching, this idea of intentionally sharing gospel truths that point your family to Jesus. And as I talked to people about this message, I heard a few uh, pushbacks. They said, well, here's the deal, Scott. I don't feel equipped to do that. I'm not a pastor. I I don't know the things of God that well. And here's what I I gently told them. God knew that when he placed those kids in your family. God knew he wasn't placing kids in Pastor Vance's family when he gave you your kids. You and I are to lead our family. You say, I'm not a pastor. I don't know that much. But your kids were put in your family for you to lead them and to shepherd them. And that's a huge, weighty task. But God has given us the responsibility. He is greater than your insufficiencies. He is strong when you are weak. And that's a good place to be. That's not a, a bad place to be. I am dependent on Jesus every day. There's times where I go in my room and I'm going, I can't do this thing. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. But I can Preach the gospel. So what is the gospel? I don't want to run by that word without defining it. The gospel is the good news. Well, to be good news, there's bad news. What's the bad news? The bad news is you and I, because of sin, were separated from God. But God made a way where there was no way. The good news is that Jesus stepped in when he didn't have to to save us from ourselves. And now you and I can have life and not death by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is what we must share simply as that with our families. We must share the good news. I've talked to a lot of older dads who have both missed it and, 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 and got it, right? They, they got that principle. And, I, and I've talked to them in preparation for this message because again, I know my perspective's a little limited where I'm living right now. So I got some outside perspective from some dads who have kids who are now fathers themselves or dads who their, their kids just went off to college. I said, how can I, how can I explain this better? And they said, it's not about raising good kids, It's not about just raising good behaving children and you succeeded. As Christian fathers, we are commanded of scripture to make disciples. It's very different. Good kids and disciples are different. Eric Mason said this, without the gospel, I am only projecting behavioral modification. Without the gospel, I am only projecting behavioral modification. I believe we have in our culture today given a very confusing message to children. Because all they ever hear about in life, right? Like I just, I just coached my son's baseball team, and uh, there's no score, and nobody wins. I'm going, what is this? Yes. Right? This is the this is culture that we live in. It's the air we breathe. That everyone's a rock star, right? And, and I'm not saying we should make people feel bad, but here's the deal. We have given a confusing message to children in the church. It's because their whole lives they hear about how awesome they are. They hear about how incredible they are. They hear about how amazing they are. And then they're going to go off to a student camp. One day, and some guy's gonna get on stage and talk to them about how they're broken and they need a savior. And they're gonna be like, I've never heard that. I don't need a savior. I'm awesome. I've been told that my whole life. So I was passionate about this when we became parents. And again, I I want you to know, I'm my kid's biggest fan. Some people think I'm crazy for this. I'm my kid's biggest fan. I encourage all of my kids. I tell them they're amazing. But I also wanna make sure I am not giving them a disservice in the future because I'm not preaching the gospel to them. And so how we've done it is uh, we, we framed it like this. We, we wanted to figure out how, to, how do we teach our kids about this idea of their sinners? I mean, they're, they're sinners. It says in Ephesians chapter 2 that they are dead in their trespasses and sins, as, as harsh as that sounds. I want to teach my kids that they are sinners all the while being a great dad and an uplifting dad. And so how we framed it is that we told our, our kids from, from very early on, as much as they can understand, that they have ugly hearts. That's how we told it to them. What does that mean? That your heart is is separated from God. You are a sinner. You have an ugly heart. And so here's how that comes into play. For an example, say my daughter Avery uh, just decides to be a punk to her two-year-old little brother and walk up and take his toy and push him down just because she wanted the toy. It'd be very easy for me to walk up and say, now Avery, that's not how Worthington kids act. That's bad behavior. Don't do that. Give your brother his toy back. But I'm going to walk up to her and I'm going to get on my knee and I'm going to grab her face. And I'm going to say, Avery... We've talked about this, babe. You have an ugly heart and dad has an ugly heart and mom has an ugly heart and, and Pastor Vance has an ugly heart, right? Everybody <laughs> has an ugly heart. My kids know this. Everybody is born with an ugly heart. They, they go on the list. Says, Does grandma have an ugly heart? It says, yeah, everybody has an ugly heart. Everybody. And so, babe, because of Jesus, you and I can fight our ugly heart. And every day, that's how we're preaching. I mean, I just had five conversations yesterday with each of my kids about how to fight their ugly heart. I feel like a broken record, but what am I doing? I'm hopefully projecting the gospel and laying a gospel foundation for my kids to understand it's not about just being good and not taking toys. It's about fighting your ugly heart so you can understand you need Jesus, even in the simple things. And so we have these conversations. Why? And here's the deal. The best thing I've ever done, the best thing we can do is actually mess up so that we can go to our kids and apologize and tell them, hey, daddy didn't fight his ugly heart right there. That's humbling, right? You go to your four-year-old and you have to get down on your knee and say, babe, daddy didn't fight his ugly heart and I yelled at you a little too harshly or I punished you a little too harshly and I want you to know that daddy needed Jesus in that moment and I didn't fight my ugly heart. I'm laying, hopefully, me and my wife are laying these gospel foundations for our kids. As they see me press into the gospel, they'll press into the gospel as they hear this idea of Jesus. John MacArthur said this, God has not given us little angels to be handled carefully lest they get corrupted. Young parents say amen. They're already sinners. They're already sinners who need to be led to salvation and faith in Christ. We said it earlier, but Daz, the reality is, you and I are commanded in scripture. All believers are commanded by scripture to make disciples of all nations. Somebody told me when I brought my son Bryce home from the hospital, hey, that starts right now in your home. That starts right now. You, don't have to, you can get on a plane and go overseas, that's great, but making disciples starts right now. Why? Because I understand my kids are an unreached people group. Right, what's an unreached people group? People have never heard the gospel and aren't, aren't believers in Jesus. And so from the beginning of their lives, they're an unreached people group. So what am I doing? Just like mission agencies have a plan to preach the gospel. I have a plan and my wife has a plan to preach the gospel to our kids, And why is that important? Because I understand just like missionaries don't go to other countries and they can't save people, but they create an environment and they preach the gospel where they can be saved. That's what I want my home to be. I want my home to be a place where the gospel is preached because I understand I have no control, zero control of my child's salvation, zero. But I'm gonna do all I can to put kindling and everything around their heart. So if God decides to choose, chooses to light that fire of their heart of salvation, that there'll be an environment in my home My wife and I are creating an environment where they are hearing the gospel all the time. That is the command we have in scripture. Deuteronomy shows us, Deuteronomy chapter 6 shows us that a godly dad is intentional. Last thing a godly dad does, and we'll get some ice cream. A godly dad, (laughs) a godly dad understands his investment. This one will be real, real quick. It's something that, again, um, an older gentleman shared with me, and I'm very thankful for it that a godly dad understands his investment. Here's the idea behind this, that your sons are becoming like you and my sons are becoming like me and my daughters are going to be drawn to men like me. And I want to strive by God's grace to make that a good thing. That my sons are becoming like me. You follow, somebody told me just the other day, like Bryce was here and he looks just like you. Not because his face, but like because of how he's wearing his hat and how he's wearing his pants and how he's wearing his shirt. He's looking just like me. Why? Because he is going to be just like me. And I've talked to older dads that go, yeah, it's crazy. Your sons become just like you, and your daughters most likely will be drawn to people just like you. We want to make this a good thing. Think about your own family. The good, the bad, and the ugly of your family, not your your, your family right now in your home, but just your family generationally. You and I are products of God's grace and other people's investment. You and I, the good, the bad, and the ugly, we are products of God's grace and other people's investment. Luke chapter 6 verse 40 says this. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. Your sons are becoming like you. Your daughters will be drawn to people like you. And we got to make that a good thing because it's not about the finish line. It's not about getting our kids to college or getting our kids out of the house or having our kids turn 18. The goal is is that we would look back at generations and that God laid a foundation through your life and generations would be changed. Way, when you are far gone, that generations would be changed because of the investment that you laid into your family, laying this godly foundation. Brick by brick, a godly foundation in our homes. And to summarize all this, I wanna give you a statement that kind of summarizes these three ways, things that godly dads can do. Who you are produces what you have and what you do with what you have produces what you leave who you are that's this issue of integrity produces what you have and what you do with what you have that's intentionality produces what you leave that's the investment that is true of us fathers that is true of us who have been called by God and his grace to be dads pursuing integrity living intentionally and understanding our investment. And really in closing, this this message is not just for dads, right? We all are called to be godly. There's nothing in there that's like just for dads, right? We are all called to be people who pursue integrity. We are all called to live intentional lives for the sake of the gospel. And we are all called to invest our lives in the lives of others. So we are called to be godly, but godliness starts with the gospel. So just in closing, I said it earlier, but the reality is you and I have ugly hearts, as we would say it. You and I were born separated from God. You and I had no hope apart from Jesus, but Jesus stepped in. God made a way where there was no way. The book of Romans says that, while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. I love that verse because here's what it means. It means that no matter where you're living today, Jesus says it's okay. Jesus says, I paid for it. There's no sin, there is no shame, there is no hurt, there's no pain, there's no addiction, there's no lack of integrity, lack of intentionality. Nothing has more power today than the cross of Jesus Christ. That is true. So no matter where you're at today, as a man, as a woman, as a single, as a widow, No matter where you are today, we can press into the gospel. And really, because of what Jesus did, we can walk in a relationship with Jesus. Almost 13 years ago, I sat in a summer camp auditorium where I had heard the gospel for about eight months. And in in a summer camp auditorium in California, God reached in the place and he saved me. Maybe today that would happen for somebody. But you understand, man, I am daily living life through my ugly heart. Daily. I'm not fighting it. I don't have the power to fight it. And Jesus says, you don't have the power, but I give you the power to fight the things that are tearing your life apart. Have a relationship with Jesus. That's available for you today because godliness, we're all called to it and it starts with the gospel. By God's grace, we can all pursue integrity, live intentionally, and understand our investment in the lives of others.